Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week we are continuing with our read-through of Mockingjay, and we're looking at chapter 16. Mm -hmm. Chris, can you give us a recap of what happens in this chapter? Sure. After being shot, Katniss has morphling-affected dreams of seeking out PETA, but eventually she wakes up to the District 13 hospital. Johanna is the patient next door, who steals Katniss's morphling and explains why she doesn't like her. Gale visits Katniss, and the two argue about the morality of Gale's thinking. Katniss then talks to Plutarch about the war, the capital's ideology of bread and circuses, and his plan to release Finnick and Annie's wedding as a probo. Coin and Plutarch argue about the extravagance of the wedding, but when it occurs, it's a big hit, with music and dancing, and Katniss genuinely feels happy for the couple. After a wedding cake decorated by Peta is revealed, Hamish updates Katniss on his improving condition, and that Peta would like to see her. When they meet, Peta doesn't attack her, but is suspicious and blunt, and Katniss is defensive and uncomfortable. She leaves and explores why she's so upset, realizing Peta sees her the way she sees herself, as violent and manipulative. Deadly. Deadly. I know I'm supposed to be like, hey, what are your striking moments? But one of mine is based off of her thinking that. So why don't we just go right in there? So, yeah, I think it's really interesting that Katniss thinks that Peta is finally seeing her for who she really is, Mm -hmm. which is violent, distrustful, manipulative, deadly. And she hates him for it. And I just... I think it's a really interesting window into her own self-talk and view of herself when I think she is distrustful, Mm -hmm. certainly. But the other things, like, I don't think those are that accurate. Like, those things are snow. He is violent, distrustful, manipulative, deadly. But she really is only violent and deadly when she's attacked. Like, mm-hmm. even in the game, she wasn't going around hunting people. She wasn't, she's just trying to stay to herself until Rue comes along and then try to protect Rue and try to protect Peta. But she only ever killed anyone when she was cornered and going to be killed or when they were attacking, too. Yeah. Um, I, I also don't really see her as manipulating people much. I think she mainly just does to the capital audience. Mm-hmm. But even that, she's not very good at. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just, I, I think it's interesting that she takes things that, yes, in certain circumstances, she's done this act or that act and feels so strongly about that in, in relation to her own sense of self which is which is really sad yeah absolutely the way that she thinks about Peta as seeing the real her is it's not just that Peta is no longer seeing with rose-colored glasses because of his love for her it's that he doesn't know the reasons that he loved her that he doesn't see the strength he doesn't see the compassion doesn't see the intelligence You know, what they're discussing at this point is all these other elements that, yeah, they've never really talked about before, at least to this extent, but it doesn't mean that this is the actual complete picture of who she is. Yeah, because even the fact that there is violence or maybe even manipulation in her past, that doesn't mean that those are without context, without nuance. Yeah. 
I mean, sure. I get. I guess if she's thinking about her being a hunter, like there is violence mm-hmm. in that. So yeah, maybe there are other aspects that she relates these things to. But yeah, I think it's a pretty inera- inaccurate picture of herself. Definitely. But why don't we go to your thoughts, your striking moments? Oh yeah, sure. Well, one I think is definitely the the moment when. Katniss hears about a wedding and immediately thinks that it's about her and Peta. I know, right? Oh. I think that it really reveals how she does still have complete distrust for the people around her. Absolutely. She has no faith in Plutarch. And, you know, talking about, yeah, she's distrustful, I guess. Well, here, she is being distrustful of District 13, I think, for very good reasons. I mean, yeah, she's, <laughs> she's not being paranoid. She's just being smart. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, it, it just, I think, confirms the isolation that she's feeling um, because something that would be torturous for her is still something that she can see the people that she is closest to or, or some of the people that she is spending most time with doing to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the people she's working with would do this to yeah, her. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was also thinking about, it's kind of like a mini from another point of view, but of PETA thinking through his thought process here where he kind of is trying to evaluate her and their relationship, mm-hmm. understanding that he has all these conflicting memories and conflicting messages being told to him. It must be so difficult having to try to yeah, evaluate what is real in so many ways. And I can see why he would be frustrated and angry in this situation because he also is going to be heavily isolated from those act- actions and, and from everything. And so, yeah, I, I think I read his interactions with her in a different light this time because I was thinking about, probably just because we've practiced the from another point of view section for so much that I really started thinking about what it meant for him rather than kind of what it meant narratively. Mm. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> can you imagine... In the world of Panem, where look what's already happened to you, having to rely on other people mm-hmm. to understand what reality is uh, would feel, I'm sure, extra vulnerable because of how much people have tried to use you, you know? Totally, yeah. yeah my last one is just how Katniss thinks about how during the wedding, it's been so long since there has been something that's silly or joyful or fun. Mm-hmm. And how the culture of District 13 that we've seen really doesn't have silliness, joy, or fun involved. And I think that, you know, that's some some interesting world building for sure and building up that culture, but it also made me think of it as incomplete world building as well because I don't imagine there could be a culture without any kind of entertainment, any kind of engagement with these kinds of things, right? Oral histories, uh, stories, they don't have to cost resources. And so Mm -hmm. even for a community that is so focused on that, that doesn't mean that there cannot be other means of culturally having significant entertainment, even if it's not a priority because of just the difficulties of survival. So yeah, I just, I think it was the first time I really felt kind of critical of that um i think the the best reading might be that it's kind of the katniss as a narrator hasn't experienced anything like this because 
she has been so <laughs> standoffish of District 13. She hasn't engaged yeah. with their culture much. But, yeah, it's just something that kind of was, was on my mind. Yeah, that makes sense. What about you? Did you have other striking moments? Yeah, I mean, on the on the same topic of, of Finnick and Annie's wedding is, like, sad and then another one kill. The sad thing is that their wedding is being made into a propo. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like, even this thing that they probably never dreamed could happen, or at least until after he was past the age of being desirable Mm. um that it's still being exploited for entertainment for other people is sad yeah that's a really great point because we also know that there's no one else from district four even there so their Mm -hmm. community is not a part of this uh at least their their district four community and we don't hear from them at all this chapter what their thoughts are for the wedding process and and how yeah. much they approved or disapproved of it being a propo and all these other kinds of things, which yeah, I think I mean, narratively is a problem. Narratively, it mirrors the problem that they're probably experiencing mm-hmm. as characters. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, maybe they would be like, yes, mm-hmm. let's publicize this. Let's let everyone see it. Let's shame the capital, you know? Totally. Let's throw this in their face. That you don't know who I am. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe they're fine with it and they're excited about it too, but yeah, we don't know. Mm-hmm. But something I do find really cute <laughs> is that Finnick, Annie, or both of them must have taught the kids in 13 their District 4 wedding yeah. song, <laughs> which is just like imagining them singing and like teaching people this song sounds really cute it does sound cute <laughs> i'm like oh another thing that i think is really sweet is that dalton conducts the marriage ceremony mm-hmm. i'm just like i love dalton just <laughs> making his way in every few chapters his name crops up in a sentence yeah just being <laughs> of use to <laughs> the non-district 13 people of you know i mean i don't know if of use is the right term but like being involved yeah i guess of service might be a better way of putting what i was going for (laughs) okay snow (laughs) can this person be of use to me (laughs) um but yeah it's just really cute to imagine them talking about oh what what are the types of things that you do for your ceremony in District 4. Oh, we do a similar thing with this. And, you know, just just sharing and connecting since it seems like he doesn't connect super well with the District 13 people. Yeah. So, yeah, that's nice. And the last thing I just noticed was when Katniss is waiting to go in to talk to Peta. It said, standing outside the door to his cell, his hospital room, which is just, like, such a great, you know, first-person perspective of just this Freudian slip of seeing it as a a prison cell, Mm -hmm. not as a hospital room, which I'm sure to some degree is how PETA feels about it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was amazing writing. And again, shows Katniss's distrust for District 13. But what do we move into our next section, which is from another point of view? This is where we look at 
things that are happening in this chapter through a perspective other than Katniss's. Who do you have? I want to talk about Johanna. Oh, I want to talk about her too. Oh, Uh-oh. great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, she she's such a great character. I, I'm so glad she's back in the narrative. Right, yeah. Um, I really appreciated how we kind of focused more on her when we were reading Catching Fire. Mm-hmm. And so reading her now where there's also a bit more sincerity allowed because they're not constantly being surveyed, seeing how much of her character and their relationship crosses over with all with these new circumstances, I think is really, really interesting. And I love how the first thing that we really see Johanna talk about is how she is not going to take orders from District 13. <laughs> how she is going to be just as rebellious in District 13 when they have doctors telling her that she needs to have less morphling and she's like, I'm going to have more anyway. I'm going to find my own ways of doing so, which I think is really shows some of the strength of her character uh, and her conviction. Well, and, you know, her stealing some of Katniss's and being like, you don't mind because she knows that she owes her. Totally. It's just, it's very Johanna. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting how she is so honest about why she doesn't like Katniss and Mm -hmm. the idea that she has some jealousy there, but a lot of it's based off of everyone's taking care of Katniss and Johanna seeing nobody taking care of her in the Mm -hmm. same way. So yeah, I can see her taking that morphling and her scowling at Katniss for not dancing during the wedding as part of this idea of... She doesn't really care much about Katniss's pain because she knows that there's plenty of people there looking out for Katniss. Mm-hmm. And so her pain and her priorities are going to be a higher higher value for her, uh, especially if she's not a huge fan of Katniss. <laughs> yeah, and I, I like how, yeah, honest she can be, even if it's something, because you, th- you think of her as a very strong character because she is. And she comes off that way, and I think she likes to come off that way. Mm -hmm. Yet, she has no problem saying, yeah, I am a little bit jealous. You know, like, she doesn't doesn't feel like those things make her more vulnerable. And, yeah, she's perfectly fine also just being blunt about some of what she thinks or experiences that aren't happy things, you know? Yeah. There's often, like, oh, the abrasive female character in a story, mm-hmm. but I like how it also carries through in an interesting way where it's not that she's just honest in being a, maybe a little combative with those around her, but she also is with herself. Mm-hmm. And and I think Katniss often does that, too. You know, we, we get her internal thoughts, but I think Johanna knows herself better than Katniss knows herself. Uh, I think the things that Johanna thinks about herself are probably more likely true and accurate than Katniss. Um, yeah, agreed. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's just, it, it adds more to the character and also partially why she's like that. And I, I, I kind of relate in a way too, because like, I'm not blunt like her, but I can be a little... I can push people, right, that I'm close to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know this. Yes, I have experienced this. <laughs> but I'm also, like, pretty honest with myself, you mm-hmm. know, with the my own shortcomings and things like that. Like, 
I am perfectly fine to admit those. Uh, so it's like, I'm not, I'm not doing it in a, a super imbalanced way in terms of like, I only see the problems in everyone else and I don't see the problems in myself. And so I, I like to see that in Johanna because I'm like, yeah, I think probably, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of people who are kind of rude or mean or, you know, push people or criticize or whatever that aren't self-reflective and aren't mm. doing that for themselves either. But I think there's probably a lot of people that partially why they do that is because they don't see it as rude or whatever because they do it to themselves and they're fine with it, you mm -hmm. know. So she's written very well, I think. Agreed, yeah. Yeah, one of the other things that came to me in thinking about Johanna is like, when she talks about the other reasons she doesn't like Katniss of mm -hmm. how she has this kind of selflessness and she cares about people and she's love struck and that when she realized that all of those things were sincere, she actually became even more frustrated <laughs> with Katniss. And uh, I think that that's fascinating when, when I imagine it, especially in this narrative of her seeing Katniss as being fawned over as getting all this attention and all this acclaim and her not getting that same acclaim. You know, I, I, in my notes, I put that Johanna has never been the quote-unquote heroine of a story the way that Katniss is being put forward uh, mm -hmm. and it was being put forward as by the Capitol and now by the Rebellion, how people are, you know, building these narratives around her. And then Johanna, even in her own games, was put off, you know, strategically, but still as a weak contender as someone who you don't have to watch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she subverted that for sure, but I can imagine that maybe some neuroses kind of come from that as well. Some some negative self-talk of, oh, well, I'm seen as nothing, uh, or I'm seen as unimportant. And then Katniss is seen as so important, even when she has other, these other elements of her that I dislike. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that connecting some of the way that she engages with Katniss, with that history, that little bit of history that we know about her, I think was kind of illustrative for me. Mm. Yeah, and I could definitely also see her as being bitter and jealous in the sense that she's been rebellious. Mm -hmm. She has not done what the Capitol has asked her to do. She's been defiant and everyone she loves was killed because of it mm -hmm. and then she sees Katniss have her mom and her sister have Gail have Peta have these people who care about her that haven't been taken from her and all of Penem is now rallying around Katniss and I could imagine she'd be like I've been being rebellious this whole time yeah. and nobody is taking up the cause not that it would make her be like oh i should have just done what the capital said i don't think she would probably feel that way mm -hmm. i mean i'm sure there's some moments if she's missing the people that she lost and everything but still just being annoyed about it like yeah. i lost so much and katniss didn't lose that because she went along with the capital mm -hmm. she played up the romance she did these things that i never did and now she is our hero? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was also thinking about 
it just being kind of sad that we don't get any Finnick and Johanna interaction yeah. because we were we were looking at their friendship in Catching Fire. So yeah, I just I wish we got like a scene or something. But I do love that she is at Finnick's wedding yes. because she does not seem like a wedding person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, you know, I think. In general, she would probably be skeptical of love and things like that. But I think also she would probably find it really difficult not to just resent all of the people there Mm -hmm. for being happy and close with each other. And these two people getting married, something that I'm sure she would see for herself as never going to happen because she won't allow herself to get close to people. And maybe Panem doesn't allow for queer marriage. I mean, obviously. <laughs> maybe in the capital, but only in the capital. Yeah, um, yeah just just watching Finnick and Annie. You know, I don't think she's close to Annie, but she seems close to Finnick. And just, I don't know, kind of watching him and being both happy for him and sad because it's something that she's never had and she would think that she'll never have, you know? And so her being there, I think, does mean a lot. She wants to be there to support him, even if she wouldn't say that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, oh, she probably feels lonely here. She probably, you know, she's the only person from District 7 here. And I was hoping that you know, maybe she was hanging out with Beatty or Hamish and her were making wisecracks at each other during the ceremony or, you know, something that was like she could still find some feeling of community, um, even in a circumstance where she would probably feel extra lonely. Totally. Yeah. I mean, and obviously she's been sep- she's now even been separated from other victors through this torture right mm-hmm. and so yeah because you know we talked before about how finnick and annie are not in their district four community for this wedding mm-hmm. but they also have a community as victors yeah of of so many shared experiences there and for johanna to to be a part of that for that that occasion i think is is meaningful for sure yeah but i agree it would have been great to actually see their interactions mm-hmm yeah. I mean, I do love that she's always thinking in terms of snow and how you get back at him. Which is why I think her and Katniss are actually a really fascinating relationship because mm-hmm. of everyone, she's the only other person who does have that kind of directed hate for snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> I love that. It's not just she's like, Hey, you should go do this. It's like, she has disapproval that Katniss hasn't already done this. Right, exactly. <laughs> There's judgment involved. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> I love her. Um, I was also thinking of one other POV, which is Haymitch's. Mm. Just thinking about the fact that he had already talked to Peta. And imagining him having to face this person that he betrayed mm. and he was, Peter was imprisoned and tortured because of that betrayal. And we already know that he doesn't handle things well. <laughs> <laughs> and doesn't like to really be held accountable, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just imagining him 
dreading it, but knowing that he owes it to Peta to yeah. talk to him and have him mad at him and all of that. Yeah, I was kind of wondering if he kept Peta's kind of fluctuating progress from Katniss because, you know, she thinks the person three weeks ago or whatever never could have decorated this cake mm-hmm. that I saw. So Hamish has been keeping things from me and, and I kind of wonder if part of that was because he didn't want to hope that their PETA, you know, might be coming back to them. Yeah. So he was shielding himself from that, but also shielding her from that. Whether that was the right thing to do or not, you know, obviously Katniss is not like not being informed. Mm. And, and again, he's keeping things from her. But in this case, I, I do kind of wonder if it was a personal thing because since he was so personally involved in the situation that had PETA captured, hope that PETA would be able to heal from this and be relatively like P- you know he was before I feel like that hope would be more painful mm-hmm. um, because in that hope it would also be <laughs> lessening his Hamish's own guilt you know yeah I think he's a really fascinating perspective because I can also see him at this point being feeling like he's the only one there who's actually looking out for PETA because everyone else is not only doesn't know Peta, but they see him first and foremost as a tool, as someone who will be Im- a-, a important asset for the war, more than someone who has given so much and warrants healing. Mm-hmm. And He's a tool or a threat. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And Hamish, you know, despite his guilt, absolutely is going to be the, the person, I think, standing up for Peter in any ways that he can mm-hmm. um and yeah but but having to navigate you know his own grief um and in a way also try to help manage Katniss's grief of Katniss's mourning Katniss's grieving Peter, who she thinks she's lo- he's she's lost mm-hmm. and if I tell her now that he might not be how does that impact this grieving process how does that impact everything that she's going through and what she's trying to escape by being in in two and and all these other kinds of things. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I can imagine it being a really hard decision and probably making him just wish he had a bottle of liquor. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have his main coping mechanism. Yeah. And he's probably, you know, I can imagine him also kicking himself over... Like, this is why you don't care about any of the Mm -hmm. tributes. Like, this is why, because you know what the capital will do to them. Like, how how did you let yourself do this? Yeah. (laughs) After 24 years of not. (laughs) And then succumbing to Peter's charms. (laughs) (laughs) But why don't we go into our next section which is touch points. These are things that we see happening in this chapter that we also see mirrored in our own world. What do you have? Yeah, so the first one that came to mind is definitely more personal uh, than, than kind of societal because when Katniss remembers that Peta said that he would always stay with her. Uh, yeah. 
she the, the, the term always kind of comes back to her. Uh, it just made me think, because I've been grading midterms a lot, uh, how... Don't use superlatives. Exactly. I tell my students to avoid superlatives like always or never or every or none, because it only takes one example of the opposite being true to mean that your entire statement is incorrect. Mm -hmm. And so it weakens your writing, you know. Rather than saying something like, usually, most, the majority, yeah, very few, or, or what have you. Uh, so yeah, when, when I saw that as, as that important word, it just, it made me think, <laughs> obviously, of Snape, but then also of <laughs> yeah. uh, the, uh, the grading that I was doing earlier today. Yeah. <laughs> what? District 12 teachers didn't teach him not to use supposedly? <laughs> I was also thinking about how Katniss mentioned how Gale's reasoning, his logic, could be extended out to provide rationale for something like the Hunger Games. That, Mm -hmm. you know, preventative measures, uh, you know, using violence to prevent violence can then go to a, a farthest extension. And I think that that's such an important point in how, you know, people don't often look at how their own logic has assumptions and conclusions that they come to that are outside of the context in which they're actually arguing or saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, for example, you know, I think of like the eugenics movement, um, which was arguing that certain people are unfit to have children um, based off of maybe medical disability uh, but also based off of race and poverty level and all these other kinds of ideas and much of that was actually spearheaded here in the United States and here in California uh, we were the the Yay. capital of that movement in the United States in the early 20th century and when Nazi Germany started its own eugenics programs mm-hmm. their own forced sterilization uh they directly cited the work that was done in the United States and in California as part of that. And, of course, they took it to what they literally called the final solution of yeah. uh, ethnic cleansing. And so, yeah, you know, these these ideas that some people have are so often discriminatory prejudice and could be, lead to violent conclusions by their very nature. And people don't think about them in those larger contexts. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, I think that's a... It's a great section of the book. It's just an important conversation in general. Mm-hmm. But also, it's kind of out of this that we get songbirds and snakes. Mm-hmm. And how Snow is learning about these different philosophies and the justification for the Hunger Games. Yeah, And, I mean, it gets really tricky because... You know, even in our world, it's like war is not like there are international war crimes, but war isn't necessarily a crime mm-hmm. in and of itself. And so it's like you can kill people in these circumstances, but you can't in these or through these methods, but not through these other methods. And it it does get very difficult to define. I mean. One of the reasons I'm a pacifist, I'm like, but how how can you 
say it's okay to kill people in this circumstance, but not this one, you know? Like, sure, I think that there are degrees. I mean, like, it's always bad, but there are degrees within there, you know? Mm -hmm. But I kind of get both of their points in a sense because it's like, well, Katniss has a different line than I have. Mm -hmm. How does she draw hers and how does Gail draw his? Because I feel like if you really drill down into them it can it can feel like well you can justify anything yeah and it's yeah it's it's very difficult there's something that i love which is really really sad if you look at christianity throughout most of its history versus early christianity Mm. because early christians were forbidden from being in the military Hmm. because you can't be a Christian and sign up to kill people because following Christ means that you love your neighbor and your enemy as yourself, and so you can't kill your enemy. Fascinating. Yes. And then, and then you look at most of Christian history mm-hmm. and it's just conquest. In God's name. You know, Constantine comes in here and ruins everything. <laughs> but early communities are like, no, can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um Yes, it's it's fascinating and, and very sad look at, at the evolution of just war theory and, you know, like as people have, you know, yeah, decided to make justifications for when they could and couldn't kill people and how. Yeah. Yeah. And, and thinking about preventative war is so fascinating, <laughs> too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes me now think about the CIA and all of the coups and other kinds of operations that were done in in the name of quote-unquote containment, of containing the spread of communism. Because, you know, not only is that logic flawed, that communism equals bad, uh, (laughs) (laughs) and not communism equals good, like, okay, sure, not, uh, (laughs) you know, but then we have something like the 1953 CIA coup in Iran that leads to tyrannical monarchical power there but Mm -hmm. they're still western aligned and they're still an ally against the soviet union and that's the thing that matters most and it's like okay so yeah what are you preventing actually and what tools are you using to do that and especially if there's no oversight over what you're doing like the cia had for a very long time it means that once things start do coming to light in the 1970s, Gerald Ford has to sign an executive order that says, by the way, the CIA can't assassinate foreign leaders. <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Any, exactly. <laughs> anymore. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's very, very interesting to think about those justifications of this is ultimately meant to do, quote unquote, good, but the short term means of doing so are unethical in so many ways yeah yeah well uh, yeah i mean i I think that's a lot of the times it's it's such a narrow perspective Mm -hmm. just like thinking about the immediate situation not 50 years from now not thinking about what are the systems in place that could make it so that war was more likely and well why don't we just try to change some of those systems Mm -hmm. rather than unseat a particular person because that's never you know it's just like that's not any type of fix you know um and so and what precedents are you setting now 
that in 50 years is going to be just pushed further and further and further. Exactly. Because, yeah, we wouldn't have to worry about a lot of types of terrorism if capitalism and imperialism weren't what it is, you Mm -hmm. know? So it's like, if we (laughs) change that system, it could change a lot of things. But nah, let's just kill people via drone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had one other touch point. Go for it. Uh, And that was reading about the morphling in this and Johanna trying to be weaned off of it and Mm -hmm. and other kinds of things. It just made me want to touch on the opioid epidemic. Absolutely, yeah. Because in 2019, in the United States, there were 70,000 deaths by opioid overdose and 1.6 million people who participated in misusing opioids, either that were not prescribed to them or misusing prescribed opioids, Mm -hmm. overusing them. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I was looking at that too. Apparently in 2020, the overall opioid dispensing rate was 43.3 prescriptions per 100 people. Wow. Uh, Obviously, you know, some states and counties within those states, you know, are higher and lower than Mm -hmm. that number because that's like the kind of average but yeah it's a very high average that's yeah yeah it said like in some i was looking at the cdc and it said like in some counties rates were like nine times higher than other counties and stuff like that so yes yeah so you know it's hard when you have these medicines these substances that can provide assistance and aid Mm -hmm. um you know, I, I think when I was young, I had a really ableist view of dependence and addiction being the same thing and being something to avoid. And some people, myself included now, do depend on medication to help them uh... function. Exactly. Yeah. And opio- opioids do that for some people. Mm-hmm. But... You know, we clearly have a very big problem with the overuse of it, the irresponsible use of it, and so much of that harkens back to the irresponsible production and marketing of it, Mm -hmm. uh, of companies saying, yeah, this is totally safe, it's not addictive, when it just was not the case. Right, when you have the people who are making these drugs tell doctors that this is safe and not addictive, doctors are prescribing it to patients... And, like, how horrible would it be to get addicted to something that could be incredibly dangerous and life-threatening that people in authority told you was safe to take, you Totally. Know? And then flooded the market with, so there's plenty out there for you to yeah. get your hands on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a, a really unfortunate situation. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's, I think, very complicated. And Johanna and Katniss... I think are a really interesting example of how the attempted responsible treatment of pain and trauma and all these other kinds of things um, is overlapping with really volatile substances um, in Mm -hmm. how they, they affect body chemistry. And that's just a hard thing to manage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... It's like, I understand 
District 13 wanting to wean Johanna off them. Mm-hmm. And I also, like, get that she doesn't want to be weaned off them. Exactly. Um, probably, one, because of their addictive nature, and two, as a new coping mechanism for the torture she has just undergone. Yeah, absolutely. It's numbing in ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've certainly felt like... I could use numbing at times, you know, and I've never experienced anything nearly as traumatic as Johanna has, so. Totally, yeah. totally. Yeah, I mean, and, like, luckily now, you know, there there is a lot more publicized about this crisis, and so some things are starting to be monitored a bit more and, and mm-hmm. whatnot, but, you know, yeah, I mean, it's something that I've even thought about myself, like, at the current place I'm at, you know, I just deal with my pain the best I can, and and I do have the help of a of a sleep aid, which one of the things that it does is help with pain that that isn't an opioid. But you know, some day I may need to get an opioid prescription, you know, and and that idea is terrifying. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, just thinking about this place that Johanna is in, you know, she, she's seen the morphlings from District 6. Like, she's seen this. She's been a victor for five years or so, yet in, in this moment, it, that doesn't matter to her. Like, she, like she's seen what it can do, yeah. but she can't deal with the violence that's been done against her. Yeah. And, like, yeah, her own body's um, reaction to the harm that her body underwent you know mm-hmm. what about you what touch points did you have i was also kind of thinking about her mentioning about the therapist that she was forced to see mm-hmm. in district 13 like saying that oh she's perfectly safe and just how ridiculous it is to say that to a victor <laughs> or, i mean really anyone in the districts of benham yeah yeah just kind of thinking about how if she had a good therapist maybe that could help so that she didn't feel the need for the morphling as much as a coping mechanism but how just like a bad therapist can really i don't know almost set you back you know Mm -hmm. it's like then you feel like there's nothing that you can do or any help that can happen that moment made me think earlier of octavia's reaction and how different it was because she was also told, you're safe now. Mm-hmm. And for her, it didn't seem to help either. But she didn't react as, like, outwardly negative towards it. Mm-hmm. She just still still was shutting down. You know, it's something that I've been much more critical of since I've met you. Because I know you are someone who's like, don't tell me everything's going to be okay. <laughs> That's just yes. not the case. Uh, you know, and so it's like, okay, yeah. Platitudes don't work. Platitudes are insincere in some ways. You know, they're shallow. Um, they're just supposed to... It's like a little band-aid. Exactly. But it's not, like, real. I mean, for some people that it helps them in whatever situation they're in, it does not help me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, it's yeah, it's made me more critical of when I see that in narratives and things like that, too, mm-hmm. because I've always been someone who's like, oh, that's nice, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The last one that I was thinking about is the kind of arguments that Plutarch and Coin are having about the resources used on this <laughs> wedding. 
I'm definitely would. I mean, I think, you know, you can do something, <laughs> especially if they don't cost a lot of money or resources, you know, like, yeah, having somebody who can play an instrument, playing their instrument, dancing, mm-hmm. you know, those don't cost resources. But not not going as far as, as District 13 is for <laughs> minimalism. But I was looking at some statistics for the United States and weddings. Oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> and depressing. The average cost of a wedding ceremony and reception in the U.S. last year, 2021, was $28,000. Wow. And that's down. Since the pandemic, like, it's oh, actually sure. gone down. Because, yeah, because you're not you having know, as many guests and, and yeah. people or might be more in more financial difficulties and stuff like that. Totally. But that's the average. Mm-hmm. And it's just baffling. Like, so much money on one day. And yeah. then it's not even a full day. It's part of a day. And that's not counting how much a ring costs that almost assuredly was the blood diamond you know it's just like there's so much exploitation um and inequality that goes into weddings in the united states and in a lot of places in the world because twenty thousand dollars you know you could get a new car the average person in the united states spends roughly two thousand six hundred and fifty dollars on food for the year Mm. And so this is, yeah, 10 years worth of food. Uh, And that's like the average person. Fun side note, if you're a vegetarian, you spend about $700 less a year (laughs) on food. And, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's hard. Like, you can give a winter survival kit through UNHCR to a refugee family that costs like $120. -hmm. So that a family doesn't freeze to death in winter you know and it's just like yeah just i don't know the the amount of money that is spent just on this kind of narcissistic practice of like oh let's celebrate our love the way we want to and be the center of attention and have all of these nice things and beautiful things and you know i'm not saying that all all celebrations are bad but 10 years worth of food is excessive (laughs) I get it. You just like to poop on parties. I understand. (laughs) Every party's got to have one. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that is excessive, to say the least. Yeah. Yes. So that's the end of our fun section. (laughs) (laughs) When we move into our wonderments, what are you wondering about? I was wondering how the wedding propo gets taken by people in the capital Mm. by people in the districts and especially by the people who exploited finnick what it's like for them to see him after revealing secrets revealing this happened to then have the next time you see him be his joyful moment of happiness and choosing his relationship choosing his partner Mm -hmm. um yeah i can just you know i think that that is narratively powerful and yeah, just is something that I would love to to know more about. Totally, yeah. I wonder if it's the first time anyone in the districts have really seen people from District 13. Mm, yeah, that's interesting too. <laughs> right? That's yeah. really interesting. 
Well, and definitely anyone in the capital mm-hmm. <laughs> isn't Snow's age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, like, I could also see... <laughs> oh, people are terrible. I could also see people, some people in the capital, like, judging it. Totally. Ugh, this is so... Like, wasn't that the dress that Katniss wore, <laughs> you know? Like, just thinking that this is so... Not even quaint, but, like... Provincial. Yeah, and, like embarrassing yeah. i could i could definitely see these people but being then like that. at the same time thinking about what plutarch was saying with the people in the capital not having the bread and circuses anymore mm-hmm. you know what is it like for them to see district 13 people having a celebration as quaint as it may be when they are rationing and mm-hmm. living without yeah absolutely and you know if the capital's not having much fun anymore, like mm-hmm. maybe seeing, hmm, maybe other a different government could provide us with more fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Little do they know. <laughs> <laughs> Governments have never provided fun ever. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just thinking of the Hulu show The Great. Mm. And when they do, it's a bad thing. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Huzzah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was wondering about why only 300 people were allowed to attend the wedding. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if food is involved, I guess. But, like, if they're not making any special food, people have to eat anyway, you know. Um, And so, yeah, I just, I could imagine if you're not one of the people who would was chosen you'd just be like really sad that you didn't get to participate right does any of it have to do with going wanting her society to not crave these things you know Mm. so it's like we'll have a bunch of district 12 people anyone else that's from any other district will be there and then some district 13 people that you know i hand select that i know that this isn't gonna change what they want we don't want any subversive ideas of (laughs) fun and joy and silliness in district 13 yeah dancing (laughs) (laughs) but when we go into our final section which is our intentions something that we are taking away from this conversation or the chapter that we want to have an impact in our life that sounds good my intention is to try not to be like katniss at the end of this chapter i want to try and worry less that others see me in the most negative or self-critical ways that i can see myself Mm -hmm. um people tend to have a much more nuanced picture that is not entirely good or bad and it's much easier for you to have a entirely negative perspective on yourself than it is i think on other people so i mean speak for yourself okay i for me i can say (laughs) yes that's true um but yeah so that's that that's my intention how about you good thanks i was just kind of thinking about the wedding and how recently i've been like analyzing celebrations and traditions that is this you proposing to me oh god no (laughs) Live (laughs) with Geek Between the Lines. But, you know, like, there's just traditions and things that we grew up with. Christmas, Thanksgiving, Valentine's Day, things like that, that 
you know, I, I, I spent years of my life just celebrating, participating in without any critical look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, good thing, not good thing, wasteful, not wasteful, you know. like Appropriative. Exactly, yeah. all of these things. And, and so recently I have been thinking about that more and with thanksgiving here in the united states just around the corner (laughs) you know because of the pandemic it was kind of easy for me to be like oh i guess i'm not going over anywhere you know (laughs) because i know a lot of people don't understand or maybe they would think that yeah i'm just being judgmental or pretentious or or something because i don't want to celebrate a holiday that I think is a sham, you know, mm-hmm. and that is more about like making non-native people feel like it's all about love and and gratefulness and and that they would have been the ones that were sitting down and sharing a meal mm-hmm. with people in a, this peaceful fake meal back <laughs> in the day when really the celebration is mainly just about ourselves and our loved ones Mm -hmm. and the average host of a thanksgiving gathering in the united states will spend about 450 dollars on it wow and this is the same time a lot of indigenous communities the groceries that they have access to are inflated Mm. the the price of them studies reported that people on native reservations paid almost $8.50 more for a basket of food items than the national average. And the U.S. Department of Agriculture places the average food insecurity rate at 25% for Native Americans and Native Alaskans. And so it's just like at a time when a lot of American families will spend $450 on this big feast with this fake story of community and peace and stuff Mm -hmm. with the indigenous people, like indigenous people are food insecure. You know, it's just like have a normal meal, take that money and donate it to an indigenous organization. You know, like, I don't know. I, I just... Things have started bothering me more (laughs) lately. And I guess my intention is to try to figure out how to, or if I should just make excuses for why I don't want to participate, or if I should try to sit down and explain Mm. these things to people who would want me to participate and why I don't want to. because I know a lot of people won't get it, or they'll be like, oh. And I'm, like, already very separated from a lot of people, like, in my family because of my views and my stances on things that I don't compromise on. Um, And so it's just like, ugh, another thing to, like, separate myself. And, you know, I don't know. It just, it, it gets complicated, but I haven't really, in any way that's not just, like, reactionary thought about if there are particular ways that I would want to do something or communicate things or are there are there compromises I mean I'm I'm still not seeing people in person or anything but if and when 
there is the possibility of that in in a healthy way um are there compromises that would be good to try to do like if we're going to have this family gathering or whatever can we cut down on some things and can we donate some money here you know Mm. like it like is there a way of doing it that would be better than just like cutting off from it you know I, i don't know so that is my intention good yeah it's a good thing to explore and try to see if there are better practices that are possible to remain in community but also be ethical yeah i mean it's hard because basically every holiday in the united states is turned into it's just capitalism right with a disguise of love and family yes (laughs) i mean not that not that families can't enjoy things and you know have love and share with each other on those occasions but it's still all just capitalism (laughs) totally and it's like can we not have fun and can we not share love without the capitalism Mm -hmm. i mean we can't unless we're like completely living off the grid but like there are degrees (laughs) right right we don't need the 450 dollar meal you know but yes enough of my ranting (laughs) (laughs) i felt very contrary today um Okay, well, if that will wrap up our discussion, what's happening next time on The Hunger Games? So we're going to be reading Chapter 17, where there is drama in the high school cafeteria. It always seems to happen there, doesn't it? It really does. It's a great filming location. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's pretty easy, pretty Mm -hmm. cost-effective, except when they're throwing food everywhere. But that would never happen in District 13. They would all be imprisoned. (laughs) (laughs) took part in the worst kind of fight a food Food fight fight. (laughs) (laughs) the one type of combat district 13 doesn't approve of (laughs) well thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of geek between the lines find links to our website our social media and our patreon in the episode description and i hope that you join us on patreon so you can get access to all the special bonus features like the mockingjay part one movie discussion that we had two weeks ago we want to thank Kimberly Kuniko at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find our designs at lacelet.com or searching on Instagram or Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.